we're continuing in the story of the life of one of the main characters, certainly not Peter, John, and Paul, but his name was Philip. And we've seen him work in being available to God, and he was serving as uh, one who helped care for the needs of the widows and those uh, in the church as a deacon, if you will, one who waited on tables. And then we see him being part of the expansion of the church as he now goes down to Samaria and encounters, last week we saw him encounter um, kind of like the, the, the forces of evil in terms of this Simon Magus, Simon the Magician, and, and how those kingdoms in conflict resulted in some issues that, that arose. And, and uh, Philip held steady in terms of doing what God asked him to do. Now we're going to find him one more time, but with a different audience. Instead of dealing with uh, a big group, if you will, uh, many people coming to the Lord, God says to him, <clears throat> I'm, uh, that's nice, that's good, uh, that the crowd is great, but I got one person in mind I'd like you to look at. And uh, sometimes it's hard to go from one assignment to another. When there's a, when, when there's a larger group uh, that you're having inroads to and an impact on, and then God says, I'd like you to change here. And sometimes when things are going well, we say, well, I don't think I really want to make a change. And then God gives you another assignment. You have to be willing to come to a point of accepting even the smaller assignment. <clears throat> um, one one pastor uh, was told <clears throat> uh, I, it was probably it's probably a tozerism, uh, but uh, the phrase goes something like this: If if a person is uh, too big for a little place, they're too little for a big place, and so it's not a function of the size of ministry that you're in. It's a key. It's the issue of your obedience to God and being willing to do what he asks you to do at a point in time. In this particular story, we're going to look at uh, the, the privilege of personal evangelism. And even raising that issue for some people causes them to go into... And they talk about that, and pretty soon they go... Um, because it, it gives you a mild case of tachycardia. Uh, you begin to think, I don't know if I can do this, share my faith. <laughs> but all it was was simply being sensitive to God. I, I don't want to get into it real quick, but, but I'll get it, get there. Uh, but it's just an issue of being obedience. And in this story, essentially, there are two elements. I guess the, this sermon has two, two hinges on this door, uh, two elements that are always at work. It... it it, 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 I don't often say always kind of thing, but there's an always at work in terms of the issue of personal evangelism. We're going to look at those sides. Uh, so uh, let's come to the story in Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Follow along with me as I read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. <coughs> the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip, or both Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Just an interesting story where the audience of one becomes an important part in the economy of God. <clears throat> um, Frank was talking about counting your blessings, and you say, name them one by one. But in the issue of personal evangelism as well, everybody comes one at a time. I realize that there are cultures in which there can be that collective decision that is made. Maybe the tribal chief makes a decision on behalf of his whole tribe and says, hey, we're all going to follow Jesus. Get in line. Let's go. And that kind of thing can and does occur. But ultimately, it's always one at a time, always a personal kind of relationship that we have with God. <clears throat> so we said this, this story has two parts, two halves. The first half is this. The personal evangelism, evangelism always involves the human side, the human side. It is what it, things look like down here. It's how we perceive things. And in this particular story, there are several elements that are involved in that human side. First is it involves our attentiveness, our attentiveness. Verse 26 says, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Or Gaza, if you like that, emphasis. However you do that, it involved the attention of Philip that, that he was close enough to God, close enough to the Lord, that God was able to get his attention. Now, I don't know that it always works that an angel of the Lord is involved in the process. Sometimes we might like to have an angel prompt us to do things. That would be handy. Lord, what do you want me to do today? So suddenly a big angel with wings and whatever shows up and says, 
I want you to get up and I want you to get dressed today. Well, you know, or well, I want you to go over there and talk to so-and-so. Sometimes we would like to have an angelic being giving us directions and orders. But by the same token, we don't always have to have an angel doing that when we have the commands of the scripture. Acts 1.8 says, you shall be my witnesses. You didn't need an angel before. This is the first encounter we have Philip with an angel. He, he felt a, a sense of call and ministry and opportunity earlier when he went from wherever he was in Jerusalem or whatever and then, and then took off down to Samaria or up to Samaria, depending on your geography. But he, he went, went there, prompted willingness, but you don't read anything about an angel. But here, it's the instant, an intermediate agency of an angel. Not everybody has that. Not everybody gets that. But the point is that God was able to get his attention. And he gives him an assignment to go to, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. If you want to dig into your Bible Atlas map section of things sometime, you'll find that this was uh, going from Jerusalem up here. Again, Jerusalem was always a high point, geographically, altitude-wise, like coming up to Wilkes-Barre. You know, come up. You know, there's a certain point where I begin to pressurize. You know. And I haven't repressurized. Somehow I pressurized today, but I haven't lost the repressurization. So that's a whole other issue. So, uh, so here he says, I want you to go down to this road. Now, there were two main routes that were part of this trip from Jerusalem to Gaza or that area or even going down to Egypt. There was the, the main highway, if it will, the king's highway, it would be called. And then there was this other road that was a little bit more remote, and that's the desert road. The interesting thing is in the particular story that one of the translations that uh, is there uh, could be that <clears throat> he, he wanted him to go, uh, in, it's called a desert road or desert place. It may have been that it's, it's a rather remote area, but uh, a part of the language of it was that I want you to go there at noontime. That's like trying to find uh, traffic uh, on a very distant back road and expecting you're going to run into somebody. Now, we don't run into that problem here, but you get out in the back of the hills in some of these towns, and it might be a little bit more remote that you actually run into somebody. When we were coming back last, uh, we were on family vacation up in the Adirondacks, we came back down toward the Auburn uh, Syracuse area, and we got onto some back road somehow, and we went, we went for miles and miles, and didn't run into a soul. And thought, man, if something happens to me, they may not find me for a week. You know, the remote place, the desert place, is not always the one that's the most popular route to go. It's nice and it's a nice ride, but here, one of the things that strikes you in terms of the intentiveness is that he was attentive or listening to the promptings of the Lord. God witnesses to us by his spirit within us and sends us messages, brings thoughts to our heart and mind. I know that sometimes we talk about hearing God speak to us, and I believe he speaks to us through his word, but I believe he is able to speak to us through the presence of his spirit to prompt us to do something. It may be to call something, call somebody, it may be to visit somebody. It may be to do a particular act or deed. You feel prompted. Every once in a while you say, uh, people get all 
buggered up about it and say, well, is that really God or is that just me? And I, I wish we wouldn't spend so much time trying to parse that thing because I believe God has in mind that he wants to prompt us to do things and we've got to be people who are listening to it. Verse 29 said that the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. So there, God is in the process of speaking to us and capturing our hearts. We need to be attentive to his direction. It is the agency of the Holy Spirit that prompted Philip to do it. Uh, and, and here using an angel in the process, he was attentive to it. The other thing that strikes me about available uh, about about Philip on the Hughes side is that he was available. Attentiveness, availability. Someone has said God is not so much interested in our ability as much as our availability. Any old mud fence will do, or fence posts will do, in terms of God's economy. Let me tell you a story. Um, John Eglin is his name. He never preached a sermon in his life. Never. He, he wasn't that he didn't want to, just he never needed to. He, one morning, however, did. It was in a town in Colchester, England, 1850, historically, so we're a ways back. He awoke on a January morning and thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Who would want to go to church after the big snowstorm? And I know that snow sometimes gets in the way, and I think we've got to exercise judgment and decision. But he thought, well, maybe, I'll, uh, maybe I shouldn't stay home. Maybe I better go. He, because he was a deacon. Interestingly, Philip was a deacon. He, just, he said, oh, maybe I better go. So he, he gets up and he goes and gets his boot and his hat and his coat, and he walks six miles to the Methodist church that he was a part of. He wasn't the only member who was thinking about staying home. As a matter of fact, more than a few of them decided not to go because the snow was bad, and it even kept the preacher from getting there. And so that particular Sunday, 13 people showed up. 13 people showed up. I don't know how many we got, but beside the point. 13 people showed up with one visitor. 12 were members, if you will, or people who regularly attend, and one visitor that showed up that particular day. Well, the suggestion was, well, we might as well go home. The minister didn't show up. We might as well just go home. England says, no, I don't think. We've come this far. Let's have a service. Besides, they had a visitor. It was a 13-year-old boy. But they wondered who was going to preach. Eglin was the only deacon. So what do deacons do? They deke. So he decided he was going to, fell to him, so he was going to preach. The sermon lasted all of 10 minutes. Now I want to tell you the story now from the other side of the, of the witness of this 13-year-old boy that showed up. So let me read his account. <clears throat> he said, uh, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness of despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm. One Sunday morning, while I was going to a certain place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. 
I had heard the primitive heard about the primitive Methodists, and I heard that when they sang, they sang so loudly that they made other people's heads ache. But that didn't matter to me. He said, I wanted to know how to be saved. And if they could tell me that, I didn't care how much my head ached. The minister didn't come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words right. But that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text, and the preacher began thus. So here's a synopsis of the 10-minute sermon from this 13-year-old boy. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, look and don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, he said in broad Essex, many on ye are looking to yourselves. But it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some on ye say, we will wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am a sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am a hanging. On the cross, look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. Primitive Methodist context starts to get going. When he had gone to about that length, the young person says, and managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger, just fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew all my heart. He said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. <laughs> But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, and it struck right home. And he continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death. If you don't obey my text, but if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. 
Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, You man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and simple faith which looks to him alone. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. That 13-year-old boy was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, which is a very famous British preacher. Now, I know that when, when the weather gets in the way, we have a tendency to get a little bit cautious and pull plugs on services. Um, and, and I guess it depends where you're from, you know. You're hardy, you know. We, we from Minnesota when we went to seminary out there, and we'd do sunrise services in Easter, and almost inevitably it would snow. You just, you just got hardy. You just, you just did it, you know. So we moved to Pennsylvania and do a sunrise service. Here, the forecast of snow, they say, oh, better cancel, you know, in terms of just that response. And I know that there, there's sense and sensibility about that. But every time I hear about canceling a service, I think about what if, what if there was a 13-year-old boy that was just looking for a place and God was speaking to his heart and he brought him here? See? So I, 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 I don't... You have, to, you have to work through that one. But I'm telling you, in the story, it's amazing what God did for someone that had a significant impact in terms of the work of God in Britain. So we're talking about the availability. That's an important piece on the human side. It also involves our obedience. Verse 30 of Acts chapter 8 says, And Philip ran up to the chariot, Heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Philip obeyed that subjective voice of the Spirit of God. He remained open as to how God would lead him. And all I would say is when we're in touch with the Holy Spirit, we will be sensitive to his guidance. Sometimes, even through difficulty, sometimes through an inner voice, maybe even an angel God might prompt to use. But we will be in touch with God and the touch of God to other people around us. Philip was so in touch with the Spirit that it was flexible. It was not difficult for the Spirit of God to lead him and, and let God determine where it was and how it was to be. He went from an exciting, growing congregation in the city out to the lonely desert point to a congregation of one. 
it would have been easy for him to say, Lord, you, you really don't want me to go there. You don't really want me to go to that little old lonely place out there with the lizards. I, I, don't, I don't have any interest in doing that. But sometimes we've got to be sensitive to God, and even when he says the desert place. But he responded. He was obedient. And it was a good example for us to keep in mind in terms of the human aspect of this privilege of personal evangelism. One other piece, and that is that it involves our genuine interest. In the end of verse 30, uh, Philip says, do you understand this? Uh, do you understand what you're reading? I realize in the process here, and boy, we could take a lot of time to get into the how-to of this, but in terms of the heart of it, it's simply a function of being sensitive to God and then genuinely caring. Have you ever been in a situation in which you feel like you have become the object of someone trying to sell you something? You get a phone call on the other end, uh, and it's someone who says, Hello, Mr. Davis, how are you today? Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because you know there's something else coming behind this nice, personable person on the other end. Um, one of the keys that's important in terms of personal evangelism, personal witness, is to genuinely care for people. If you're looking to try to sell somebody something, the motivation is poor. If you're looking through the eyes of Christ and the love of Christ for someone, because you have experienced something that has transformed your life and you only long for them to encounter that, that's a better prism. That's a better prism through which we look in terms of the genuine interest. A number of years ago, there was a pastor, became district superintendent in our district. His name was Leon Young. And one time, Leon was preaching. And I remember this phrase that he said. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And in terms of this whole issue of personal relationship and personal evangelism, people are longing to know how much you care. Are you taking the time to show you care by praying for people? A number of months ago now, we put out a uh, little insert sheet that had uh, your, your circle of influence, the people of interest, the, the kind of like a prayer focus, people that you're praying for. And, uh, and we passed that out, and you probably got put in your Bible maybe or taken home or something like that. But has it made it into regular use yet? Have, have you chosen to take enough time to care for people that you pray for them, you pray for them regularly? We sit down to pray. And Barb and I do, and, and we just kind of go around us, you know. So we pray for the neighbors next door and the neighbors across the street there and there and there. And that person that's new over there that I don't know a lot about, and then the gal right beside us uh, that we don't see very often. And then there's the people behind us, George and Mary Alice, and then there's Cord and Karen over here. And so we just kind of go around our circle. 
And just that's where God has put us. And so we pray for them. We pray that God will give opportunity to be able to speak into their life. Is there a genuine interest on our part? That's the human side of things. And God always uses a human side. He uses jars of clay to become heralds of God. But then that personal evangelism, evangelism also involves the divine side. So we've got the human side down here and the divine side. There are times when you might kind of wonder what God is up to. What are you doing? How are you, how are you orchestrating things? And so I want to talk about some of that a little bit. Verse 27, we're kind of, we're kind of jumping back and forth. The, scripture, the story says he started out and he, on his way he met an Ethiopian leader, a eunuch, uh, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was not so much a name. It was a, it was kind of like an office or position. And Ethiopia, of course, is in geography. You go down to Egypt. You go, down, you go south of Egypt and you run into Ethiopia. Okay, just ballpark. But it's probably a 500-mile run from there up to Jerusalem. So here this leader, uh, important official in the in the court of this Ethiopian uh uh, Candace, queen, uh, makes makes his way up to Jerusalem. God had orchestrated an appointment. Uh, and we don't know what all was part of the reason for the journey, but he does end up going up. He ends up worshiping in Jerusalem. But, you know, going to Jerusalem didn't quite trip his trigger, didn't quite satisfy his need, didn't quite answer his question. So God takes him 500 miles and then starts to bring him back. And then waits until he gets in a lonely spot where it is orchestrated for this divine appointment. Do you, are you asking the Lord for divine appointments? I think that's a key piece for us. And even if you're feeling a little bit hesitant about sharing faith, that kind of thing, begin to pray that God will set up some appointments. And it doesn't mean that you have to give the whole load that particular time, we might feel like, oh, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to do the big dump, and we've got a trailer load of information we need to get. We just back it up to them, dump it on them, and maybe that'll tip them over. Well, they may bury them, you know. But but maybe you just need to give a little at a time. Maybe it's one part. Maybe it's maybe just being attentive to God in terms of His prompting for this orchestrated appointment. He comes all the way to Jerusalem. He knew, in, God knows and knew the position he held in his native land. He knew why he had come to Jerusalem. He knew the deep, unsatisfied hunger of his heart. He knew he was on his way home. He knew all about his chariot. He knew exactly where he was on the road. He knew the book he was reading. He knew his perplexity and he knew his persistence in trying to find out an answer. So we're now about to witness one of those amazing meetings that takes place from time to time on earth, the details of which are all determined in heaven and directed by the Spirit of God. And that's an amazing thing. God is always at work. Henry Blackaby um, um, is a... a has written a number of works, a number of very practical. He's a Baptist background guy. 
But one of the books that he wrote was uh, Experiencing God. If you have never encountered that book, I, I ought to bring a copy of that up, but it's really helpful. <clears throat> and in that, there are, there are things that he w- would say that are part of that divine encounter business. And, and, and one of the seen things he has in the experience of God goes through about seven realities that are part of it and the first one is this God is always at work around you God is always at work around you and the question is are you watching for that are you aware of that are you looking for uh, the working of God I, I sometimes call them God sightings where where God is doing some things and it may be through some some circumstances that are going tough that capture a person's heart or attention or some kind of trauma or struggle or problem or some, maybe even some things that just kind of help them. Their world starts to unravel a bit and they start looking. And God is at work in those kinds of situations. He's always at work around you. And he pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. That's a part of his heart. That's what he longs to do. So in this whole appointment, orchestrated by divine initiative. It involves a resting in the fact that God knows who you are and he knows who the people are that he longs for you to build bridges to. And he may not, it may not be a bridge that you alone have to deal with. Uh, one, one writer in terms of personal witness evangelism put it this way. He said it takes it had an odd, odd number. It was like 4.3 people. It takes 4.3 people to get to somebody with a message of the, of the gospel of Christ before it begins to make sense, before they come to that point of making a door, making an entrance into the door. Uh, so you can, you can view it from your side and say, well, maybe I'm one of the 4.3. Maybe I only feel like 0.3. But it may be that God has using, is using you, will be part in terms of orchestrating the divine appointments that are part of that, his divine side, his orchestrated appointment. It's interesting. It also involves a prepared heart. Down in verse 31, you read this. How can I, the eunuch responds, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I could take a lot more time to talk about the dynamic of personal evangelism from this particular story. There's a lot of good stuff in here, some very practical things. But it was a heart that was prepared. If you are trying, if you're trying to convince somebody to to to, to, to believe something that they are not ready to believe. Be careful. Uh, I think Don was talking about it one time when he was, we were talking about that uh, heart, uh, fall, uh, the hollow, Halloween All Saints Day focus, outreach focus, you know, and he talked about sharing Jesus without fear, the little practical kind of thing, the tool that that, that, uh, that Bill Faye tool, uh, it's very practical. But he said, be very careful. Just ask the question. Just, just give up. Don't try to pick fruit that's not ripe. I think that was something like that, what he said. Whatever. If not, just imagine that's what he said, because it's true. Don't try to pick stuff that's not ripe, because it's, it's no good. It, it, it doesn't serve its purpose. We've got to be very careful and acknowledge that, that God is in the process of, of working these divine appointments, but also preparing hearts Jeremiah 23 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has put eternity into man's heart. And God is in the business 
of orchestrating events in their world, just like he's orchestrating events in your world. And he is about to disclose or bring truth. It involves a prepared heart. And I think it's very appropriate for us to be praying, Lord, would you prepare the heart of that person that I'm longing to be able to build a bridge with, to, to share uh, something of encouragement or something that will point in direction to you. We prepare their hearts. Appropriate prayer point in that side. It also involves the good news of the word, verse 35 of Acts chapter 8. It, it says, and this wonderful, wonderful line, wonderful verse, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now we understand that he didn't have the Bible. And we don't know it. I mean, we, you know, this is pre-Gutenberg printing press stuff. You have to change it. So whatever he had, papyrus, whatever Old Testament passage of Scripture he had, it was something that he had that he was reading, and it was Isaiah chapter 53. It's just interesting in terms of the whole orchestration of event there so that God began to use that truth. I find it interesting that God orchestrated the timing of that. He tells Philip, he said, uh, go to that chariot and, and stay. Hurry up, get over there and stay. I wonder if Philip would have delayed. If, if the reader, if, if the, the Ethiopian guy would have now been in Isaiah 55 <laughs> instead of 53, because Philip delayed, so he needed to respond to truth and, and obey God and move with him. But it involved the good news of the word and began from Isaiah 53. If you've ever looked at Isaiah 53, it's a wonderful depiction of the suffering Savior of Christ. And who was this? You know, is this? And the Ethiopian's question is, is, this, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Philip could say, yeah, it's somebody else. Somebody else. Let me, tell you, let me tell you who it is. And he has the opportunity to share his faith. But it's based upon the good news of the word. People come to God. They come to faith not by believing in faith, not by believing in their good works, not by believing in particular church liturgy or church doctrine. They come to faith by believing in Jesus through his word. And there's no substitute for that. It involves the good news of the word. It also involves a changed heart. The scriptures say in verse 39, after he comes to this point of coming along, and we don't have a lot of information about how much information this Ethiopian had, but apparently he had enough to figure out that there must have been some kind of change that was it was appropriate and some kind of next step of obedience. And so he comes to this water and he says, well, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And I know we can look at that passage of scripture and they can say that they went down into the water and they baptized them and they came up out of the water and they view that as a good case for immersion. Yeah, that's kind of a, that may not be the case. <laughs> the language of the scripture starts into and out of is, is moving toward and coming out of. It may not be thoroughly immersion, although I think that's a biblical pattern and model for us. But the point is that he chose to make a change or chose to believe what the impact of this story was all about. 
and he, he was he was baptized. And then in verse 39, uh, it says uh, Philip was taken away, or whatever that looked like. And when the eunuch didn't see him anymore, he went on his way rejoicing. Do you remember one of the other earlier accounts in the book of Acts where it talks about when the word of God comes, came to that city, there was great joy or much joy in the city. In other words, it made a difference in the lives of those people. In a group, it also made a difference in the life of an individual. It involved a changed heart. We don't have the full-blown explanation. Early historians in the period of time, just in the first century into the second century, make observation that it was probably this Ethiopian leader that founded the Coptic church in Egypt and down on Ethiopia and began uh, simply having shared his faith with others, began the, the church in that particular culture. So when we talk about this issue of personal evangelism, it's our opportunity to share what we know. Uh, you, 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 you may have never received training or instruction in terms of what's the best way to do that. You could, there, our problem is not methods. Our problem is not methods. Our problem is, am I convinced that God can use me in the process? And uh, I believe that God is in the process of simply taking anybody that's available who has a heart for longing to connect with others on behalf of Christ to simply share faith. And it, it, again, it doesn't have to be the whole load. It's one little piece, at least, that helps keep that person connected because God is at work to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's the divine side of things, and he's looking for attentive people, available people, people whose hearts are rightly connected with him, with whom he can meet together with those divine appointments that he sets up. So, here we got it. In a nutshell version, Acts 8, 26 to 40, the two pieces, the two sides, always at work in the privilege and process of men, women, youth, and children coming to the knowledge of God and life. It's life-changing transformation that occurs when the human side and the divine side work together. Our part, his part. They're never done in isolation from each other. They're always done in partnership with each part. Now, the nice thing about this whole issue of personal evangelism is I only have to worry about one part. So you don't have to worry about everything because God takes care of his part. And he works on the lives of people and brings things into their world that cause them to maybe think twice or three times or more about what's going on in their world. We only have to care for our part. Let God do his work. God is God. I am not. I got that figured out. Let God do his part, and we'll take care of our part. And the question is simply this. How are you doing on that? Are you attentive to the promptings of God? Are you available to be used by him? Where is your heart these days? And and I, I'm, I'm certainly, it's not a matter of listening to another sermon on personal evangelism. It's being, it's, it's understanding that God 
is at work and he wants to use you. It's a precious privilege. Simply one person telling another person where to get something to eat. And that's probably a very practical definition of evangelism that we have. Um, Chuck Swindoll is a is a now retired person, but still has impact and influence in terms of a writer, is a preacher uh, down in Texas. And and in his guidelines for a winning witness, he simply puts it this way. He says, first, be sensitive, then be available, then be proactive, then be tactful, and then be precise. Jesus uh, uses us when we simply, like Philip, preached unto him Jesus and got right to the heart of things. Acts chapter 8 is this wonderful story of the ongoing availability of Philip to be used here in a one-on-one situation, just like he was able to be used in the larger group situation. And so it doesn't make a difference how big the place is. It's a function of um, availability by God's grace. How about it? Uh, Let's say, uh, well, let's not say, here am I, send Aaron. Let's say, here am I, send me. Let's pause for prayer. Father in heaven, somewhere along the way, somebody was prompted by you to speak something into our life that resulted in our giving serious consideration to the message of life in Jesus. It may have been a mom or a dad. It may have been a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a layman like Philip who simply had the heart to want to share what they had discovered that changed their life that could change our lives. So somewhere along the way, someone took the time, made the time, to speak words of life about Jesus to us. Thank you for that day. We, we can, well, we were almost saying, oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Somewhere you used someone. Now, there's a group of people here that may be similarly sized to the snowstorm group that gathered at the primitive Methodist church who sang in such a way that it made people's heads hurt. I don't know if that's descriptive of us here, but there was a small group, but into that group came one young person, and you spoke to their heart. Use us today, Father, as we go from this place in ways in which we would bring honor and joy to the King of kings and Lord of lords, whose son Jesus gave himself for us and keeps on giving himself for the sin of the world. May we be involved in this great partnership that involves the divine side and human side for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And amen. Now I realize today may be more like preaching to the choir a little bit, you know, but uh, 
let me tell you, I'm encourage you to be open and looking for the ways in which God is at work so he can use you. And don't be bashful about that. Don't be afraid of that. Just say, Lord, here am I. I'm, I'm expecting you to do your work, and I want to be sensitive to do my part. So in that way, go, go. Let's, let's head on out and uh, experience his goodness and grace to us this week. God bless you. Greet one another as you go today.